views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Super, super, super welcome to part two. It's so great having all of you tune us in, turn us on. You know, we're thrilled to have Guy Finley joining us here today. Part two, we're talking about six ways to know a false inner guide from a true one. And, you know, the first hour, if you've missed any part of it, uh, I love to think about you know the work that Guy does and the messages he brings forth are the messages of the moment. You know, the messages of the consciousness, that which we cannot see, but definitely know exist of all of you. The things that get talked about during the show, and I've said this before, are the things that, you know, so much of, of my life has been an intuitive guide, you know, this tuning fork, this thing where I've turned left instead of right. Now, most of the time, people will look at you when you do things that seem odd as if you've lost it. And Guy and I were talking about that during the break. Um, We are definitely wanting all of you to know about this incredible book, The Secret of Your Immortal Self. Guy wrote this book, Key Lessons for Realizing the Divinity Within. And if you go to the website, guyfinley.org forward slash immortal, you'll be able to get yourself a copy of the book. But more importantly, he's got some of the most incredible uh, gifts for you as well with that. Um, Guy, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. I mean, you know, we're, we're looking at some of, the, some of the things that are emerging in the conversation, you know, some of the things in the stories that are associated with them. And, you know, I was sharing during the break, and I love this, I was sharing during the break uh, a little story about how I literally woke up one day in 1990 and clearly felt like I wasn't the same person. I joke about it saying, I think aliens took over my body. But there was so much in those moments and then the years to come that felt so different for me, uh, unexplainable. But I do believe it's what you talk about. I do believe that somehow, and maybe you can address this, somehow that inner guide got the floor the inner guide got the floor you know the false inner guide got the back seat I'm not quite sure about how that happened but this is truly what we're talking about and in in what you do help folks understand how to give the inner guy the floor yes all right let's continue to tie everything together as as we've been doing this is one of my favorite stories uh, when I was 
uh, early on in my spiritual life, I had rented a little apartment, and uh, it, the view was basically an alley <laughs> uh, with garbage cans. And uh, I remember that I every morning I'd be making my coffee up and look out this kitchen window and see uh, in the alley uh, a dog would come trotting down, you know, a happy dog, you know, tail up, wagging, kind of smiling. And he'd come and he'd knock over one of the garbage cans and pull out of the garbage can this big wrapping of foil, which I imagine was bacon grease. I never saw what it was. <laughs> and it would shred the, shred the foil, eat its fill, and then trot back down the road like, you know, it had had a, a reservation at a restaurant and it was done. And uh, I, and I, I, one day, I don't know, it must have been after watching this three, four weeks, it, uh, it trotted down the alley. Uh, opened the foil, sniffed the stuff, and walked away from it, and never came back for it, because it would. It, I guess I, I imagine it was it was making itself sick from the bacon grease. So the lesson was a simple one: uh, don't eat what makes you sick. Only it took <laughs> took the dog thirty times to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. So what's the parallel? Remember, we said that lessons write in on the back of events for the purpose of revealing to us parts of our nature, limitations, that we don't know are there. And as we become conscious of these parts, we're released from them. What does it mean, conscious of these parts? It means that I see that this part of me is always active in the moment. Anybody says something that challenges me, the, back, the hair on the back of my neck goes up. Anything gets in my way, I want to run it over. Anything comes that I don't expect, I'm afraid. So when we see that there is a part of us that steps up in the moment to guide us in that moment, but that the guide is a false guide, that it is actually created by the limited nature. So therefore it cannot prove or lead to the end of that limited nature, then we are released from that relationship. Mm. Example, I'm sitting at home and I get an email, a phone call comes, I see the news, and suddenly I am, without knowing it was in me, full of anxiety. Maybe something's come up at work and if I'm a supervisor, I'm gonna have to go straighten somebody out. The last thing I'm thinking to myself is that I'm anxious over having to correct an employee. But that next moment, I am loaded with fear and anxiety. Now, did the condition create the anxiety, Pat? Or did the condition reveal a nature that was already anxious, just lying latent in my consciousness? Well, I, you know, for me, it, I know it's lying latent in there. there. I mean, you can see it in the in the the day to day things that happen. I yes. mean, I just you know, I just had a moment of it like uh, two minutes ago. Yes. You know, in 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 a very very similar experience where yes. I thought, oh my gosh, All you right. know, is that a spider over there? Well, yes. why would I think that's a spider? Yeah. Okay. So uh, that, so, so, so important yeah. important point. Yeah. Conditions yeah. do not create the conflict in us they reveal the conflicted nature 
already there. Now that nature begins to do what we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. It points to the situation as being the source of our suffering. And it says to us, Guy, Pat, listen, here's the plan. Let's go get drunk. Let's go read a book on how to be a shark instead of a fish. Let's do something so that we can correct the condition that is causing this pain. But the condition is not causing the pain. The condition is revealing a part of us that goes into pain any moment its authority is challenged. Now we know what a false guide is. It is the part of us that has been revealed that does not want to stand in the light of that revelation, so it points a finger and suggests a plan, like anxiety says, rush. Well, how many times are we going to rush and realize that we never get rid of the anxious feeling, we only momentarily relieve ourselves of the pressure of that nature in us? Mm. As we come to realize the truth of that, now we start to be able to recognize anxiety is a false guide. Anything in us that resists a revelation and then suggests an alternative to somehow or other change the condition that produced the revelation is a false guide. It is not a light. It is a, a fist in the shape of a torch that shakes itself into the air and says, follow me, follow my light. It's even scriptural. How great is the darkness that calls itself the light. On the other hand, there is a light that dwells in the darkness that the darkness does not understand at all. This is all fulfillment of scripture, but now it's in real time, and we can understand it through the process of our moment-to-moment -moment experiences. You know, Guy, one of the things that is also, you know, in rereading the book again, you know, is also apparent to me is, you know, the conversation that comes up most of the time for people is the idea of what our mind does uh, and what our heart feels and the connection between the mind and the heart and, and some of the conscious decisions or uh, unconscious decisions that we make. And, you know, there has been uh, for so, so very long in certain cultures, this whole idea of, you know, don't, don't let them see you sweat. Don't let them see you sweat. And, you know, the whole idea about don't let them see you sweat is like, what does that actually mean? You know, does it mean that I don't get to be real in this moment? That if I don't, if, if you see me sweat, then what's going to happen? But that's been an interesting, you know, metaphor for me in, wow. in my life. And I know I'm not alone in this one, but you understand, I do. So it, you know, what then gets to show up with that. Let's examine it in the light yeah. of our conversation. Yeah. You be advocate for listeners. Is it okay. possible for me to meet a moment and resist what it is showing me about myself and learn about myself at the same time. Mm -hmm. Can I resist a moment and learn from it at the same time? 
Wow. Uh, it's, you it's, know, it's impossible. It is impossible. It is impossible. Because if I resist that moment, right, whatever the moment is, am I not attracting more of it? Now, now, now so you're, you've moved a step ahead. That's right. Uh, okay. So, Bec- all right. So the resistance to the moment is an act of denying what I am being shown about myself. The nature that denies the revelation guarantees that it will repeat the condition because it never learned from it. So resistance is the source of reincarnation at every possible level. What you resist doesn't persist by itself. It returns over and over again strengthening its appearance because the nature that is denying the revelation is actually being made to feel more and more real like a guide mm-hmm. it is a it whatever resists a revelation is a false guide and a false god in that moment it's a false guide because it promises if you do what it directs you to do you will escape the momentary darkness you're experiencing. It is a false God because it presents itself as the light that knows the difference between what is true and false when it is falseness itself passing itself off as true. So, Guide, when we think about this, and, you know, I shared a couple of things with you, uh, you know, earlier about, you know, the road that we get on, this, this, this aspect of freedom, you know, this aspect of understanding, you know, the secret of our immortal selves, you know, these things that will allow for that divinity, which is inside us to then be revealed and and be activated in the outside world. You know, I, I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know so much about, you know, what what the folks listening to how they were brought up. But I know I was brought up in an arena, a uh, spiritual religious arena, where divinity wasn't within me. And by the way, it was not allowed to be within you. Right. Uh, even though, uh, you know, and, and let's talk about the scripture, even though many, many of the things that, you know, we read, you know, in the, in the Bible and other scriptures point to the fact that, you know what, greater things than these you too shall do. Have or I not the said, king, have right? I not said ye are gods? Yes, yeah, right. You know? From the from the Old Testament all the way through the, the, the Apocryphals, every last one contains this idea, not that we are God, that's important, but that within us lives the divine. Being made in the image of God means that we are the embodiment of all that was used, all that is still being activated, actualized, in creation, every force, every form, all of it, we are entitled to be conscious of. Well, you know, when we look at the, the path, the vision for our lives, when we look at the things that we believe we're saying yes to, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we're, we're, we think we've got this all figured out and we're going down a path. Uh, and as we go down the path, uh, uh, all of a sudden we get very, very sick. 
uh, or something haps- happens to us. We are so quick to really look at that thing that's happening, whether it's illness, it doesn't matter what it is, but whatever it is, we're so quick to look at that and come up with a rationalization of how this thing now has taken me off my path. But what if there was no such thing as off my path? Yeah. So that's a great comment because, you know, to the point of our conversation, if you want to know one of the big differences between a false guide and a true one, anything that judges you is a false guide. And anything that then prescribes a path as a result of that judgment is the extension of that false guide. The light, love, call it what you will, does not fear what is in the dark. It is not reactive to what is unknown. It embraces and integrates what is in the dark and unknown into itself as an act of divinity. That same process lives in us. We are intended to be the instrument of it. But when we identify with the part of us that wants to punish us for missing the mark, for being, you know, making mistakes, then we have a very strong sense of self because we are now, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to be like that again. And by the fact that we never saw the nature that created the misstep, we will fall right into its hands again because it has guided us in that moment into a false identification and consolation, by the way, with what actually betrayed us. Mm. You know, in the cycle of things, we go down the path and we think that uh, we can never have the life that somebody else has. You know, we can never do the thing somebody else does. And, you know, the box that we're describing for ourselves today, um, we think is the box that uh, we're actually been given. Not that we have, uh, you know, put the box around ourselves. But you know what? It's like not everybody can be Guy Finley. Not everybody can be Pat. Not everybody can be Donald Trump. Not everybody could be this. Not everybody could be that. And these are really stories that we honestly, let's get back to the word, believe It's like the dog that sat in my lap with me doing this brushing thing I was doing. And by the way, I don't know this dog very well and just sitting there hanging out. But what would have happened if I actually believed that this is the dog that doesn't like to get brushed? What if I actually believed that this is the life that I was given that I really don't have many other choices for it, Guy? Look. This is, uh, I, I just don't know how to say it any clearer than this. The false inner guide is what tells you you can't do or be something. The real inner guide understands that whatever you attempt to do for the love of it will bring you through the limitation that prohibits you from integrating it into your life. You are not meant to be like anyone else on this planet. The false guide only knows how to imitate. And then for the imitation that it inspires you to pick up and try to be, then punishes you for failing 
to measure up to what it imagined <laughs> you should do. The true guide never imagines who you should be. It walks you through the discovery of what's keeping you from realizing all of your possibilities as given only to you. You know, one of the things in the book that you talk about, you know, you talk about this attraction, attract divine attention, how to attract divine attention, divine attention. I want to stop and talk about that because, you know, if if we're looking at and we so can relate to all of the moments where things have not gotten right for us, um, where things, you, you know, happen in our lives where we look at, but let's talk about some of the moments where things happen in a way that go far beyond anything we can imagine. The juiciness of them comes from a place that becomes so absolutely uh, difficult, if not impossible, to describe. And I remember in the book you talking about, oh, you can look at, you can attract divine attention. We can actually do that. And so let's talk about that and talk about, you know, this idea of being equally responsible for that force that shows up. (laughs) Well, you know, again, let's put, we'll we'll, we'll talk about how we attract it and keep it in the context of what we've been talking about. I'm enjoying this, our ability with all this time we have to put these ideas together. All right, so... So quick summary, lessons right in on the back of events. The event produces a revelation of an aspect of myself I didn't know about. I become conscious momentarily. I become aware of something that no longer serves me. And then I begin to realize that I need to be released from this part of myself. But of myself, I can't accomplish it. I need to attract a higher understanding. I need to attract the divine to bring about this transfiguration. In the book, I tell a story, and I'll go so briefly, if I may, about uh, a friend of mine called Heckel. Up here in the mountains where I live, Mm -hmm. I have a wonderful relationship with a lot of the wildlife. You know, uh, some of the stellar jays, uh, at one point, I've stopped doing it because I don't have the time uh, would come and take peanuts out of my hand. Now, Heckle and Jekyll, may, they were a pair of partner uh, solar jays. Once I stopped coming out to feed them, they they began to uh, <laughs> sit on, on a plant that's right in front of my bay window in my office here, less than four feet from me. And Heckle would just sit on this plant and stare at me. <laughs> until you Until what, Pat? I had to get up. Yeah. I couldn't sit there. <laughs> I felt, I don't know, I felt, I don't know what I felt. Felt guilty. I, 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 it was, it saying, Guy, I need your attention. And I'm going to pay for your attention by sitting here looking at you with this needful look until you get up out of your chair. I don't care what you're doing. And throw me a peanut. And I would, I, with God as my witness to this day, I still do it. It's not the heckle and jekyll anymore. Instead, it's Tammy and Tinky, these couple of does. They'll come up within about five, six feet of the bay window and stare in the window. Now, I understand they've been conditioned and I've been conditioned, but there is still a reciprocity. That's the point. 
that when we need something, if we ask for it patiently and ask for it based on understanding our need for it, we will attract the help we need. If I know that I need to get rid of this anger, to die to it, I will attract the conditions that reveal to me the depth of it. Most of us don't want to know the depth of these things that are limitations because we've been conditioned by that own nature, that dark nature, to resist the revelation. But if we really understand and are willing to act upon the idea, call it what you will, that God is good, God is love, then what is good and loving is not going to bring conditions to us to punish us for our consciousness. Rather, it's going to produce conditions that we will attract to us by that need to help us transcend these limitations in knowing the depth and breadth of the possibility of love and kindness. That's how we attract it, by strengthening our understanding of the need to transfigure, to be changed not by blaming or hiding from that nature. In the process of doing that, you know, there is, as many people say, uh, and, and let's just talk uh, talk about the antithesis of this. You know, grow, you grow up and you hear, oh, misery loves company. Well, you know, let's flip that around for a minute and talk about this when we come back. You know, how about abundance? How about joy? You know, how about gratitude? You know, how about these things? Do they too, do they too love the same company? And what is the yes that happens in our lives when we go from the unreal to the real? Have you ever had an experience of going from the unreal to the real to actually believe that it's surreal? Let's take a short break. When we come back, more from Guy Finley. Uh, I've got a couple of questions for you, Guy, when we come back as well. Let's take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back with the Dr. Pat Show. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Tell the world I'm coming home. Let the rain wash away all the pain of yesterday. To Sheer Alchemy with Leslie Fontaine on TransformationTalkRadio.com and get ready to stir up your passions, identify your blocks, and shift into an entirely new existence. Leslie Fontaine is a transformation catalyst and clairvoyant who uses her intuitive and energetic gifts to catapult listeners into living the life they were born to live. Whether it's shifting from scarcity to abundance, from emotional pain into joy, or from illness into health. Leslie will help you step into the true essence and power of all that you are with the help of the Ascended Masters and Archangels. You will not be the same. Visit TransformationTalkRadio.com for show dates and times and LeslieFontaine.com to say yes to explosive abundance. 
Naturopathic doctor, founder of the Martha's Vineyard Holistic Retreat, and author of the New York Times bestseller, 21 Pounds in 21 Days, Dr. Ronnie Deleuze has helped tens of thousands of people, including celebrities and athletes, with her message of lifestyle change. Now, Dr. Ronnie Deleuze wants to help you. You, too, can be saved. Email Dr. Ronnie Deleuze at info at ronniedeleuzeonradio.com and visit mvholisticretreat.com. Dr. Ronnie Deleuze, your partner in wellness. Welcome to Smile Big, nominee of Seattle's Top Dentist Awards. Here at Smile Big, we offer restorative, cosmetic, and preventative dentistry. Some of our regular dental services include tooth-colored fillings, crowns, bridges, implants, bleaching, cosmetic bonding, and complete smile restoration. Dr. James Rosenwald and Dr. Susan Aptoner won't be smiling until you are smiling. Call now to schedule a visit with Seattle's Top Dentists. Our number is 425-454-4040. You can even visit our website at SmileBig.com. Each month, listen to Live More Radio with co-host Allie Katz. Join Allie and Dr. Pat as Allie introduces new ways to bring balance back to your life through meditation, sleep, and exercise techniques so you can live your truly authentic life. Stress less. Live more. To learn more about Allie, visit A-T-O-Z-E-N-Meditation.com. Tune in to The Jen Royster Show, intuitive guidance to inspire your life, each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific and 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This amazing show is an inspirational hour that will take you on an epic metaphysical journey to discover the spiritual approach to life's greatest challenges. Dr. Jen is an internationally known intuitive counselor, spiritual teacher, and energy healer. Call in for intuitive readings and visit JenRoyster.com for more information. Hey, everybody, welcome back. I'm so thrilled Guy Finley's joining us here today. And, you know, I do have a couple questions from you all that I will bring on air. The book is called The Secret of Your Immortal Self. Guy Finley, my very special guest, uh, author, and much more. If you go to the website, guyfinley.org forward slash immortal, um, you're going to be able to not only buy the book, but you're going to be able to get some great downloads, some great gifts. Uh, In looking at our lives, the real the unreal and the surreal and we've heard the word surreal so many times people use it to try to explain things that happen in their lives that don't seem real uh but but not quite unreal you know the question i i that 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 i think comes up is what you talk about in the book guy and that is you know unreal to the real how do we do that? I mean, the famous line in, I think, all of movies, right? The famous line that, that I remember about this is, you know, you're going to take the red pill or you're going to take the blue pill? Mm. <laughs> yeah, that, that's... that's how do I say this? If, if we have in us the source of all that is real. Every dissatisfaction that we have in life, I call a divine dissatisfaction, Mm -hmm. because within us lives this original
original light, this original love, this original beauty, this original harmony. We have the experience of a part of that, a little piece of it. But because it isn't the whole, and we don't know that it's not the whole because we have what feels like the whole experience, when the conditions that have produced that consciousness change, suddenly what we thought was the whole and permanent is shown to be temporary and impermanent. (laughs) And suddenly we feel this dissatisfaction. I want to have more of that. But this mind believes that the more of that consciousness exists in the conditions that reveal it to us, so we go and look for a better relationship with a person, a better job, a better house, not understanding that the exterior world is a mirror in which we discover these qualities that are already complete within us. So moving from the unreal to the real is not moving through circumstances in the exterior world as the priority, but rather understanding the priority is to become more and more awake and aware of this original divine holiness, this wholeness within us, so that then we are less and less dependent on the passing conditions because we have entered into the source of the consciousness that holds that holiness to begin with. The real deal. The real deal. And, you know, so often we go down the path of putting labels on things. You know, it's interesting. Um, You know, when I think about things, I I was talking with someone and I was, you know, writing a story and I was talking with them about the story. And I I described my mother as, you know, being an amazing woman, one of the most loving people ever. And, you know, as an addict and an alcoholic. And the question that was asked me was how did her being that thing, that label, you know, for purposes of writing, how did that, you know, how could she, you know, how could I see it as both? How was she an alcoholic and an addict and how was she loving? And there was a disconnect, you know, for for the person that that, that was working with me. There was a disconnect. Um, and I, I actually had a difficult time explaining that until a little light bulb went on. And what I realized is I had to explain it for anybody that's reading it. You know, there had to be a part oh, that yeah. I had to explain. Yes. Right? For the yes. people reading it. Yes. And and yet at the same time, I don't know that I actually know the the answer to that. But that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> you You sense that one exists... I can help you a little bit with it. Yeah. There is a, one of my very favorite passages in all scriptures, East and West, is the following. Uh, in my weakness is thy strength made perfect. Mm. Hmm. Now, what does that mean relative to a relationship that on one hand is clearly, you can see here's a dysfunctional person. And yet... For their, for their dysfunction, I have, I have learned more about love through their pain than I could have ever done. Why? Because they awaken in me 
the corresponding part that as I see as a limitation that I am helpless to, I see that you are helpless to that limitation. And there's compassion in that. So I learn compassion not as an act of strength, but as an act of discovering my own weakness. And then love exists because now there's no longer a separation between me and the one that I would blame for my conflict. Mm. We're the same. And I know it now. And just as you need help, I need help. And what you awaken in me that I wish wouldn't be stirred into consciousness, I eventually have to thank you for, because how else would I learn to love you in the true sense of the word? Yeah. So it yeah. becomes this most beautiful thing, Pat. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Mm. But, but we must be willing to go through this process of revelation, release, and realization. If we push away what we are given to see about ourselves, it is the same as pushing away the guide that brought us the goodness of that moment that we might transcend what was limited in ourselves. Mm -hmm. I was reading one of the things and one of the things you wrote in the book and it was one of the lessons and I and it says this it says when all is said and done what matters isn't whether the world or anyone anyone in it loves us or approves of us. What matters is what we love. What we love, yeah. yeah. That's one of my favorites. That, if I had to say what what is the, you know, sort mm-hmm. of the quintessential secrets of, of, uh, of a successful life, and we've all heard this, but yeah. now we're applying it not just to our practical life, but to all parts, is if you love something, you did not put that love in you for it. What loves put that in you so that you could enter into finally a full relationship with it through what you've been given to love. I wanted to ask you about this aspect of this, and it's forgiveness. I wanted to talk with you about forgiveness for a minute. Can I put a, shame, I- can I put a shameful, shameless shameful, I don't know what the word is. Can I say one thing quickly? Yeah. If if anything about what I just said about love resonates with anybody, one of my favorite books that I ever wrote also turned out to be one of my least popular books. It was called Apprentice of the Heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, Apprentice of the Heart is all about this secret that that love itself sows into the human heart something that will be attracted to how love manifests itself in passing time. And the attraction that you have towards that relationship is for the purpose of you realizing that the love you have for what is in passing time was placed in you by a timeless love so that the two could be joined, Mm -hmm. married, and something timeless could be reborn in you in that moment of unity. Tell everybody the name of the book again, Guy. Apprentice of the Heart. Mm-hmm. I know it's shameless to do that, but I, you know, no, it's, 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 it's so, not. No, well, it, you know, I, I don't like to plug my my works, but I, we 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 brought it, you brought up the subject of love, and when I was talking yeah. about it, it just stirred in me some of the the experiences that produced that book, and I I just know for people that want to to transcend 
this this heart that has become hardened or shut off or afraid, there's only one solution, and that is to let it have the lead. Follow it towards what it loves, because what it loves, it is being directed to love, and it will discover through that relationship an unlimited source of love. Why do you think that is, that is difficult for people to do? Because, you know, our, because of everything we've been talking about. Mm-hmm, there is something mm-hmm. in us that doesn't... This is... You want to know, you, you know an important idea? Yeah. The aspirant must discover for himself or herself, not believe, but see the fact that living within us is something that does not want us to be whole. And you cannot be whole without love. So that means there is something in us that does not want us to know divine love. Why? Because to know divine love means the end of being separated from life and being the incessant seeker and the one fearful of not finding Mm -hmm. what one hopes to find. It cannot live. That nature cannot thrive when we begin to realize that love is the true guide and guides us to release ourselves from the fear of that nature. And, you know, I think you say in the book, you say something like, it isn't love that's hurt us. No, love doesn't hurt. (laughs) Well, I know. But, you know... How many songs? Love hurts. I mean, how 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 many ways can we go and describe? Oh yeah, loss. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, but see, that's a level. It's a yeah. limitation. Look, everybody's had this experience. I fall in love with somebody. Now, on the negative side, six months, a year, six minutes, whatever it is, six years, something changes. You change. I change. And it isn't that I didn't love you, it's just that now I see you are no longer able to stir in me that which I seek and need. We part ways. I live with somebody for 35 years. My wife and I have been together for over 35 years. Mm -hmm. We love each other to death. But the divine comes before the individual relationship. Why? Because the individual relationship is intended I wrote a song back in the 60s or 70s when I was on Motown Records. It's called, I'm Just a Picture. And the lyric went, love is living somewhere deep inside of you, and I'm just a picture it holds to help it remember to grow and unfold. So we reach points in our lives where we, uh, that level of love, I love pizza. I love people. I love my wife. These are expressions of an order of love intended gradually to lead us to a love that is inclusive of all of those things and that never fears the disappearance of any of those things because love cannot be divided up into have and have not. Mm. And doesn't this really take us down the pathway, Guy, of this idea that you, how do I love myself if I don't believe I'm anything? How do I love myself in the face of always trying to accomplish that thing that will make me something? 
yeah. you know, that thing that if I don't achieve it in this life, if I don't have a mega epic purpose to living, yeah. Yeah. then I'm less than. And I don't know, I think, it, you know, you talk about it in the book. It's like, wow, there's a fear back here. What if you were to end the fear of being nothing? End the fear of being nothing. I've read that, and I just like, oh, my goodness. I have a can better question. Can you even say that thing? I have a better question. Yeah. Who condemns you? Mm. See, that's what, it, that's what a, a mind that is divided mm-hmm. believes that when it condemns itself uh-huh. for being inadequate, when it judges itself for not measuring up, that somehow or other, that that's an act of love and part of fulfilling the promise of one's life. But love does not condemn. Love does not judge. So to see in the moment that something that condemns me is doing so that it may ride me to market is to gradually break my relationship with that sense of self that is produced out of somehow believing that if I just punish myself enough, it proves I care. Mm-hmm. No, it does not prove you care. Right. It proves that you're asleep and don't know it. Now, use the revelation of that understanding to release yourself from any part of your consciousness that wants to criticize or push or judge you and then the energy that was used in that surreptitious relationship can suddenly be put to an altogether different use which is the further illumination of that nature and your liberation from it accordingly Mm -hmm. confusion chaos so much of what we've talked about you know today uh in in these two hours has really opened up a door, the door of revelation. And I'm, I'm sure it has done that for the folks listening. But we hear this over and over again. You know, wait a minute, I'm confused. Uh, wait a minute, I don't understand. Uh, wait a minute, uh, you know, I, I don't know why my life is so chaotic. Uh, and, you know, yesterday I, I heard an in, 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 in end-all uh, uh, an end-all reason to completely stop texting. I heard it yesterday, right on the TV, guy. I heard this on the TV. It's got to be true. You got to stop <laughs> texting because, women, you put your heads down when you text, and you're going to get the double, triple chin. Stop texting. <laughs> <laughs> that is plastic surgeon. Come see me. Stop oh, texting. Get thank your you head down. Hold laugh. your head up because you're going to get the lines and the wrinkles. Oh my god, that's funny. It, it, this is what we listen to. Oh my god, that's funny. I know. Pathetic, but funny. It, I I know. I I can only imagine how busy her practice is today from that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, but in in the end we're we're searching for something we're searching for something outside of ourselves and that's actually how we started this today right. in you know with with what is i think one of the grandest illusions we have and we can find evidence for it 
you know, we can find evidence for it. We can find evidence that we're in search of something that is outside of ourselves. You know, hundreds of thousands of books have been written, audio tapes have been written, you know, about how to change, what to do, what not to eat, what not, you know, what to eat, go buy this, juice today, don't do it tomorrow. Incomplete story of the secret. That's all it's about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. But the bottom line is, if you simply do not keep your head down by texting you will not get wrinkles see that's the that's another illusion right here's another provocative (laughs) statement our experience of any moment regardless what we say is causing it is the is produced by what we value it is your values that determine your experience Christ said, love thine enemies. Mm -hmm. How do I love my enemy unless my value is to put the revelation ahead of the proving process so that when I value learning the truth of myself by the way that sets me free, above your opinion of me, above whichever way the world turns, then no matter what happens, the value I have of learning to love what I am shown will turn any moment of revelation into something that is valuable timelessly. Then we're on the right track because someone who values the truth of himself or herself, even if they are, in the sense of the word, victimized, they will use the moment of being victimized to understand how they got there, what they can do to change the condition, and how to never again fall into a relationship where they can be victimized, so that they operate in two worlds at once, instead of, as Mr. Howard used to say, my my old mentor, We're meant to have the best of both worlds, spiritually and physically. Instead, Mm. we have the worst of one and none of the other. (laughs) Well, Guy, what an amazing time you and I have spent, uh, you know, today. And thank you so very, very much for the show today. I wanted to, you know, ask you this here in the last couple of moments yeah. we have. Um, and I know we talk about this and we talk about mistakes. You know, someone said to me not too long ago that you're going to go down the pathway of life and things aren't going to turn out the way that you want them to. And it's going to be up to me to decide whether I think it's a mistake or not. And that was my stepmom. And, you know, she said it with a southern draw. I never really understood what it, what she meant because, you know, if you make a mistake, you make a mistake. But she was saying something different. Yes. And you say it as well. And you talk to the inner guide around this. Yes. So the question really is, you know, are there really any mistakes or are we simply connecting the dots? It, it is. The answer, strangely enough, is that mistakes repeat themselves when we don't learn the lesson in the experience. 
I know. Right? Why do I know that one? Yeah. But when <laughs> we learn the lesson, you know, the story when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Yeah. When we learn the lesson that the teacher, the revelation is brought, then it's not a mistake. It happened for the purpose of me developing and growing into a healthier, happier, more whole man or woman. If I reject the teacher, the lesson, the revelation, then I am rejecting the growth, which ensures that the nature that attracted the error, the problem, will, by its resistance, reincarnate itself and revisit the situation. So it's both. Accidents happen until we understand providence produces experiences so that we can become new human beings. Hmm. Wow. Thank you, Guy. Thank you for today. What's on the horizon for Guy Finley? Proof. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we have a, this year, every year we have the Talks in the Pines up here in Southern Oregon. Yeah. Where men and women from all over the world come in and we, uh, we spend five full days, eight full talks, meditations, beautiful uh, picnic at the, at the river, dialogue, a very rich spiritual intensive. That's uh, uh, over in the middle of June, over the solstice. So that's coming up. That's a big thing in about six weeks. Everyone's invited, very inexpensive. My foundation tries to keep everything inexpensive. If you want information on the talks in the pines, just go to guyfinley.org www.guyfinley.org. Uh, working on another book, you know, that never stops. Right. And, uh, and just uh, keeping on, keeping on, Pat. There's yeah. a lot of work to be done. The, the harvest is big and the laborers are few. I think that's the statement. And, yes. uh, and, and willing to continue to learn. Mm. Thank God it's possible that we can have a relationship with what is immortal within us, in which revelation never ceases, and neither does the, the pleasure of the discovery of who and what we are, and what we are possible, uh, and what is possible for us to be. Wow. Guy, thank you so very, very much. It was uh, deep, it and was rich. Thank you, Pat. Very, very rich. Thank you so very much. For those of you out there, the book is called The Secret of Your Immortal Self. If you go to guyfinley.org forward slash immortal, you'll be able to get a copy of the book and all of the incredible uh, gifts that come with it. Remember, as you go out today into the world, you know, I'm sure you have heard something that's going to get you to think about what that next move is going to be for yourself, that next reaction, you know, what happens when that when that amazing person cuts you off right there on the I-5, you get to decide in that moment. I hope that you've heard something today which will enable you to choose love. We'll see you next time on the show. Mm -hmm. 